Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We are continuing our series uh, this week in 1 Peter. We'll be finishing chapter 1 and going into chapter 2. I want to talk to you today about living by faith as God's people. You know, it's... Um, uh, if you if you know the Lord, you know what faith is. We live by faith. We 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 walk by faith, not by sight. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And as we go through First Peter, you know the theme is hope in a world that's not our home. We are pilgrims passing through. And as we navigate our way through this world, we're reminded we're citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors of Christ, and He has called us to live out our faith and our hope in this world. Um, D. James Kennedy told a story once. He says, imagine you're out in the middle of a lake and there are two rowboats and you've got a foot standing in each boat. He says, however, one boat is filled with holes and it's sinking fast. And it's obvious unless you get out of that boat, you're going down. And he says, the boat with holes represents our lives with sin. And the boat that has no holes represents Christ. And he basically says, you can't have your foot in both boats. And that is so true. You know, when we come to Christ, it is a wholehearted um, uh, step of faith. It's a wholehearted commitment where we come to Him and we surrender our lives to Him. And then we spend the rest of our lives understanding what that really means, living it out by faith one step at a time, one day at a time. And who better than Peter to help us understand this? Because if you know Peter in the Bible, you know that he was one of the original 12 disciples that followed Jesus, and he became one of the apostles. And and, and Peter had so much potential, and yet sometimes he just made a mess, right? But despite all of that, Peter is the one guy that we'll meet in heaven that can look at you in the eye and smile and say, have you ever walked on water? Have you ever gotten out of the boat when you saw Jesus and walked on the water? Because he did. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out there with you. Well, come on, Peter. And he, he, got, he, he was so excited to see Jesus that he steps out of the boat and walks on water to Jesus until he realized, did I just do that? And then he begins to sink, right? And he hollers out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And, of course, the Lord is there. Peter, why did you doubt? You you know the story. This Peter wrote this letter for you and I. It's preserved in Scripture for us. And it's written by a guy that understands what it means to live by faith. And he understands what it means to take a step of faith by getting out of the boat and trusting Jesus and focusing on him. And he, he, can, he can share with us that when you live by faith, man, you can experience God do things in you and through you that you never dreamed. But at the same time, the minute you get your eyes off Jesus, the minute you lose focus, well, you know what happens. And so here is Peter, and he's, you know, he's sharing uh, from his heart what God has taught him, that he's sharing with us. And, you know, even though Peter walked in water, I'm, remind, I'm reminded of two big failures in his life. Uh, one, when he denied Jesus three times. We all remember that one, right? 
And um, then the other one is when he was rebuked by Paul. Uh, if you're familiar with the letter to the Galatian church, at one point um, uh, Peter comes uh, to where Paul is, and it's a Gentile congregation. And uh, the, these Gentiles have been saved. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. They're Christians. And Peter's fellowshipping with them until the Jews come from Jerusalem. And then he kind of distances himself. He begins to discriminate between the, the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. And Paul calls him out. And so there are two uh, big failures in Peter's life. And unfortunately, both of them were public. Like everybody there, like, hmm, Peter, not good. And, and I'm reminded that this same Peter is writing this letter to us. And so he knows the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs. And despite Peter's public failures, he learned that living by faith is an adventure. And, you know, the Bible tells us Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he is still working on us. And we have to trust and follow him every day, step by step. And so despite Peter's failures, you know, the Lord restored him to fellowship. The Lord said, uh, strengthen your brothers. He said, feed my lambs, shepherd the flock, feed my sheep. And now Peter has written this letter for you and I. And he appeals to us to live by faith as we pursue Christ. And so I want you to see this morning as we read First Peter, that Peter encourages believers to live out their faith. And the first thing he talks about is our salvation begins with the new birth. Look, if you will, in First Peter 1, verse 21. It says, Through Him, referring to Jesus Christ, you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. And then he quotes a verse from the Old Testament uh, in Isaiah. He says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And then Peter says, And this Word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Isn't that good? This Word of God is good news. That's what the gospel means. And it has been proclaimed to you. And when you hear the Word of God and you begin to believe it, then it produces new life in you. And that new life is, is lasting, just like the Word of God is lasting and enduring. The Word of God is not perishable, but it's imperishable. It's the living, enduring Word of God. God. Uh, I'm reminded of what Paul said to the Corinthian church. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. That's what the new birth is. When you and I are born again, everyone that's here obviously has been born once, a physical birth. But to be born again is to have a spiritual birth. It's when the Word of God and the Spirit of God produce new life in you, and it happens when you hear the Word of God and you believe it and you respond to God by faith and He produces new life in you. You are born again. 1 John 5, the Apostle John mentioned this. He said, Everyone 
who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. And this is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. And His commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God, there it is, conquers the world. And this is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one that conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I don't mean with your head, but you believe with all your heart, then you are born again. And now that you are born again, now you have the, the life of Christ in you. You have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And now He is living His life in you and through you. And what a great way to live. Peter wanted to remind us of that. Why? Because look at Peter. I mean, look at Peter in the Gospels. He, he's got strengths and weaknesses just like you and I do. The problem was, more often than not, he's relying on himself and not on the Lord. And he was reminded more than once that he could only do so much when he's depending on himself. But when he gets out of the boat and gets his eyes on Jesus and leans into him and trusts him, then God begins to work in his life. You know, and after walking around being with Jesus for three years, I think he probably thought he kind of had it figured out because there at the end, when they come to arrest Jesus, Peter whips out his sword. Oh, this is, here comes a mob to get my Lord. If this is the way it's going down, I'm not leaving without a fight. He gets out his sword. He cuts off a guy's ear, which lets you know how he was aiming. And uh, the bottom line is, Jesus said, put away the sword. And, and then, uh, you know, um, even though he told Jesus, I'll be faithful to you all the way through, even to end, even to death, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And you know what happened? Peter, Peter, in a pressure moment, as he's following Jesus, tracking Jesus, you know, he's there by the fire. People are talking, hey, is that one of the guys that was with Jesus? No, I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know the man. You know, I mean, three times adamantly, Peter's like, I don't know the man. And then the rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered what Jesus said. And he, he wept bitterly. And yet this same Peter, this same Peter was the guy after the resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus appeared to him, after Jesus restored him and asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus restored Peter to fellowship and to service. And then after Jesus ascended to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, we learn of what God can do when we let him have his way in our lives. And here's Peter, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he stands up and he's boldly preaching the word of God and the good news about Jesus Christ to other people. So Peter reminds you and I of what uh, a difference it makes when you're saved. And you know you're saved when you've been born again. You're not the same person. You don't depend on yourself anymore. You depend on the Spirit of God that's working in you and through you. And people say, wow, look at what God is doing in him and her and them. And that makes all the difference. What an encouragement to me, what an encouragement to you, that no matter who you are or what you've done, when you come to the foot of the 
of the cross and you receive Christ into your life and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, you've been born again. And you don't worry about the old life. You focus on the new life and you follow Christ and you depend on Him. And that makes all the difference. That's an encouragement. There's a second thing that Peter wanted to encourage us. Not just our salvation beginning with a new birth, but our spiritual growth being based on putting God's Word into practice. There in chapter 2, it starts out with therefore. In other words, what I'm about to read is connected to what we just talked about. We just talked about salvation. Now we're going to talk about spiritual growth. They go together. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love that verse, if you've tasted that the Lord is good. You'll notice as we read this letter that periodically Peter incorporates the Old Testament. He's quoting from different books in the Old Testament as we go along. He's very familiar with Scripture. I don't think we give Peter credit. You know, everybody tells uh, Paul that he's the scholar. You know, Paul's the scholar. You know, he got all this education. He wrote a third of the New Testament. And here's Peter. He's just a fisherman. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's not even completely accurate. Here is Peter. He's, he's steeped in the Word of God. He's constantly referring to the Old Testament. And he, he uses all these uh, theological terms that scholars still kind of ponder. And it's coming from a fisherman who's been changed by Jesus Christ and has the Spirit of God. And I love that. And so here is Peter, and he's saying, look, here's spiritual growth. Another reason why you and I should be encouraged is not just because of our salvation and experiencing the new birth, but our spiritual growth is based on putting God's Word into practice. You know, I, uh, I learned a long time ago, you see somebody become a Christian. There was a, a guy years ago where Nancy and I met. His name was Roy, and he was Hispanic, and he got saved. And uh, Roy, man, I mean, he had a hunger for the Word of God. And he was constantly learning, asking questions, you know, praying, serving. He was constantly, he was just a sponge. Everything that was of Jesus and and the Lord and the Bible and church, he was just taking it in. And within a a couple of years, he was a, a leader in the congregation. God called him to preach. He went out. And it was just amazing to see the transformation in his life. And you look at that and you go, wow, how did Roy grow? Well, it's very simple. He grew the same way we all grow, and that is by uh, having a desire for the Word of God and then putting it into practice. And you know, I can testify to that. Some of you, Many of you have heard this, some of you haven't. But when I was growing up as a kid, I hated reading. I did. And if you'd told me when I grew up someday I would speak publicly, I'd say, you're crazy. So I think God has a sense of humor, okay? Because I didn't like reading and I didn't ever want to be in front of people. And yet, here I am. And when I got saved, uh, for the very first time, when I would read something, I would remember it. It was exciting to me. And so I immediately began to apply that to the Bible because I hadn't read the Bible. I didn't know what was in the Bible. I didn't understand anything about the Bible. Uh, Coming from Tennessee, when somebody said, do you know about the coat of many colors? It wasn't, are you talking about Joshua? It was, oh, that Dolly Parton song, okay? I just didn't know anything about the Bible. And so 
as I began to, as I got saved, I had this hunger for the Word of God. I wanted to know uh, the Word of God. Not here, but I wanted to know this God of the Word. And so I began to read and I began to pray and I would remember things. And I began to understand things and I began to make connections. And what I want you to understand is that should be normal for every Christian. Why do I say that? Because in verse 2, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the Word. Okay? You know, I've got two kids at home. Now they're teenagers. I can remember when they were younger. I can remember my firstborn in the middle of the night. Can't you, Nancy? Uh, even when he was three years old, you wake up. What's that? What's that? Milk. Milk. Yeah, I love you, son. But uh, anyway... Um, they want milk. They want to grow. And I want to tell you something. When you are a spiritual baby, when you are a new Christian in Christ, you will have a desire for the things of God. You will have a desire for the Word of God. If you don't, I will be so bold to say you need to examine your Christian experience. Okay? You really, really do. Because I want to tell you, a baby wants to be fed. How many moms can say amen to that? When it's dinner time, they want to be fed. And I want to tell you, when you are a babe in Christ, Christ comes into your life, you've been born again, there is a new life inside of you, and that new life wants to feed on the Word of God. There will be a desire to know God's Word, and there will be a desire to put God's Word into practice. And that's what Peter is zeroing in on. He's looking at that moment when when people come to Jesus and the light bulb comes on, and all of a sudden you see something in them that you didn't see before, and you're like, there it is. There it is. There, there it is. It's, it's like somebody that's outside kind of looking at this, trying to put their finger on what's different about these people. And Peter's like, look, I can tell you what the difference is. It's Jesus. It's the fact that we've been saved because we have been born again. And when you're born again, that new life inside of you, it begins to express itself. And one of the first things it does is it wants to have, it desires to have the milk of the Word. Now notice it said the milk of the Word. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll know that there's uh, images and metaphors in the Bible that talk about the Word of God as milk and also as meat. Now what's that about? The milk is for those that are babies in Christ. They've just come to Christ. They have a new experience. This is completely new to them, and they're just trying to understand the significance of it all. And that is the milk of the Word, the basics. And then those that have known Christ for a long time, that have walked with Him for a long time in the same direction, they have the meat of the Word. They, are, they, 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 they know the basics, and now they're living out the meat of the Word. There's always something that God shows them, and they're living out the meat of the Word. And it's interesting to me that if you look at other places in the New Testament, when it usually refers to the milk of the Word, it's referring like Paul did and the Hebrew author did. It's referring to people that have been saved for a while and they should by, by now they should be on the meat and no longer on the milk. I mean, how would you like to have a baby who's 10 years old? Uh, it's time to get rid of the pacifier. It's time to take away the, the baby bottle and get them on a better diet. And yet here, Peter is not doing that. Peter is saying, look, I want you to be encouraged at the change that Christ can make in your life. Look at, the, look at the change that Christ has made in my life. It starts with salvation and the new birth. And then if you really want to zero in, once someone is born again, there's that desire for the Word of God. 
And he's spotlighting that. And he's saying, have you had that desire? Are you craving the Word of God? Are you desiring it like a baby wants its milk? He says you should. And he says, listen, that's how you grow up in your salvation. Okay? I was reading a blog um, just yesterday, actually, of a pastor who was talking about how you need to guard your time with God. I mean, it's so, you know, as a, as a pastor, I tell you what, one of my uh, things that I struggle with is I'm always using this as a tool. It's, it's my tool. It's what I do, you know, like uh, there's always a sermon because Sunday's coming, okay? There's always a lesson, right? And it can be very easy to get so caught up in the preparation that you neglect your devotional life, or I just read for me because of my own soul. And um, he was saying, uh, this guy in the blog was saying this, he says, I've looked at this so many ways, and it comes down to this. When it comes to getting closer to God, it always involves His Word. It does. It involves His Word. Because you and I, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we need to hear His voice of truth because there's so many voices in the world today that are clamoring for our attention, and we need to hear from God. And the easiest way to hear from God, the most straightforward way to hear from God, is to open His Word with an open mind and a prayerful heart. And when you read it, reflect on it and ask God to speak to you. And I believe that if you take that approach and that posture, He will speak to you through His Word. And we need that every single day. And here Peter warns us of some things that we need to get rid of in our lives in order to take in the Word of God and grow up in our salvation. He says, get rid of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And the word rid there is kind of like the, the image is, imagine going outside, doing some work in your yard or around the house or in the garden, and then your clothes are dirty. They're nasty. They stink. You're sweaty. You're smelly. And you get rid of those clothes, get a nice shower, and put on some clean clothes. Well, you and I, when it comes to growing in our salvation, we've got to get rid of the clothes of the old life. We've got to put those things off. We've got to desire the Word of God, listen to the Word of God, and do what it says. And then he gives us the incentive here. He says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Mm. Boy, I tell you what. You know, uh, if you're on the run, and you don't have a lot of options, okay? Like if you go to a tournament in a town that only has two restaurants and concessions is closed, true story happened yesterday, uh, all of a sudden you're like, man, I think I'm just going to wait till we get out of here and I'll get something better down the road. And then an hour goes by. Two hours go by. All of a sudden, peanut butter and crackers sounds good. You know what I'm talking about, right? But listen, if you've ever had a choice between a snack or a steak dinner, or maybe maybe just a simple little snack and a home-cooked meal, I know which one's going to win, right? And that's the difference that the Lord makes. He says, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, He says, you know, when you come to Jesus and you realize how good God is, you, 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 you've tasted that the Lord is good, He's come to your life and you realize, man, He saved me, everything's new, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, and, and, and praise God, look at what He's doing in my life. I don't want to live the way I used to. I don't want to live on those worldly substitutes. I want to seek Christ. I want to get into His Word. I want to listen to His voice. I want to, I want to walk in His will. 
Uh, I want to experience that, that connection with Christ that I'm feeling right now. That's what it's all about. And that's what Peter's trying to encourage us. Our spiritual growth is based on putting God's Word into practice. There's a third thing. He's looked at our salvation and the new birth. He looks at spiritual growth. And now, number three, our standing is built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes people look at us that, that, that don't believe, and they're like, why, you know, why do you do what you do? And, you know, how are you any different from me? And what makes you think you're special, you know, when in their eyes you're not? And, and here's what I'm going to say. We're not better, okay? We're not better. I mean, as a believer in Christ, I, I've been without Jesus in my life. I've been there just like anybody else. And yet he comes into my life. Um, I, I've responded by faith. I, I've been born again. I, I have these desires to do what God wants me to do that I didn't have before. And I realize that this is all because of, of him. You know, if you leave it to me, I can mess it up, but it's all because of him. And so here, uh, Peter begins to uh, share with us some more insights. And he says there in uh, sec, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 4, he says, as you come to Him, referring to Jesus, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. Now, why do we say that? Because remember, John in his gospel said that Jesus came to His own, and they what? Received Him not. They rejected Him, okay? And so Jesus came into this world, and yet He was rejected, ultimately nailed on a cross. Well, as you come to Jesus, a living stone, we'll talk about the significance of Jesus being a stone or a rock in a minute, but he's rejected by people, he's but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones. Now, before I read any more, let me show you what's going on here. You know, Peter, his name was Simon. And yet, when he met Jesus, Jesus saw something in him of what he could be if he yielded his life to the Lord. And he says, you know what? You're Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. And Peter is the word Petra. It means rock. And when Peter confessed, remember one time Jesus said, who do other people say that I am? And they said, well, some say this, some say this, some, you know, all this. And then he looks at them, he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're, you're the Christ. You're, you're the Son of the living God. And in that moment, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you know, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, remember, Jesus had already changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. He didn't mean that he was going to build the church on Peter. But what he was saying is the reason why you are a rock, Peter, and the rock that I'm talking about that I will build my church on is the confession that I am the Son of God, that I am the Christ and the Messiah. And here he's referring to that. When you come to him, Jesus, he's that living stone. He's that rock, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. And you yourselves as living stones, Notice the living part there. Jesus is a living stone. How can that be? Because even though he died on the cross, on the third day he what? rose again, and he'll live forevermore. He is the living stone. And how can we be living stones? Because when we come to Christ and get saved, what? We've been born again. We just talked about that, right? 
And now we have a new life inside of us. We have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So He is the living stone, and we too are living stones. There in verse 5, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, God is now in us and He wants to use us to share the good news with everybody else. You know, a priest is a person that represents someone before God. And now we are being used to offer these sacrifices of praise. He's already done the work. We're just saying, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. And we're sharing that with other people so they can hear and know. And then he begins to refer to all these Old Testament verses. And it's beautiful how he does it. He says in verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. That is in Isaiah 28. And in Isaiah 28, he basically says that stone that the prophet mentioned that would be in Zion, it's a chosen, honored cornerstone that the one who believes in Him will never be put to shame. And he says, I'm telling you, that stone is Jesus. Because when you trust Jesus, when you put your faith in Him, He'll never let you down, and you'll never be put to shame. You'll never regret that decision. And so he says there, he adds his comments, so honor will come to you who believe. In other words, our, our standing comes not from what we've done, but from Jesus. He is the stone that makes the house of stones possible. He's the foundation and He's the chief cornerstone. In Him it all fits together. And so the reason why I can uh, uh, be glad about my salvation, the reason why I can praise God for my salvation is He has done this for me. My standing comes from what He did. I'm not good enough to be saved. I can't do anything to deserve to be saved. But because Jesus died on that cross and paid the debt for me, and I come to Him, receive Him into my life, my standing comes from Him. And that's what Peter wants you to know. That's what it's all about. My standing comes from Him. And then he quotes another Old Testament verse. He says, honor comes to you who believe, but what about those who don't believe? He says, for the unbelieving, and then he quotes another verse, this one from Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected, this has become the cornerstone. So some people can look at Jesus and they can hear the word, they can hear the message, and they can say, I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. Stop talking to me. Leave me alone. And what Peter is saying, that's your choice. You have that right. You can receive the message and believe it, or you can reject it and say, I don't want to hear it again. You have that right. We all have that privilege, that, that opportunity, if you will. But here's what Peter wants you to know. Just because you don't believe it, just because you don't agree with it, just because you don't like it, it doesn't change the truth one bit. Okay? Jesus Christ is still the cornerstone. Even though man rejected Him, He's been chosen by God, and He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the God, He is the God-man, He is the one that everyone will come to someday, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord, and there's nothing that anybody can do to change that. 
And so you and I need to realize that. That's why our standing comes from Him. And then he quotes one more verse from the Old Testament. He goes back to Isaiah, this time Isaiah chapter 8. And he says this, and not only, not only does the, uh, Psalm 18 say the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. He says, and also a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. In other words, not only did they reject this stone, referring to Jesus, but they stumble over him. They just can't accept that. You know, when, when, when Peter, or excuse me, when, when Paul preached the gospel, a lot of people couldn't receive it, you know? I mean, the Jews had a hard time going, you mean that God would send his son to become a curse for us because he died on a tree? And, and Paul talks about that in one of his letters because the law says, cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. A cross was a tree. And they had a hard time, you know, they had a hard, a hard time accepting that. Um, uh, also, the, the Gentile people, you know, they wanted to hear the philosophers and they wanted to hear the, the, the wisdom of the day. They wanted to keep up with the trend of the times and to hear that, that God would come into this world and, and, and send His Son and He would go through all this and then He would die. That sounded like foolishness to them. And yet Paul said, look, it's still the gospel and it's only fool, or foolish to those who don't believe and that perish. And so here he's saying, Peter is saying, this stone is, is a stone that some stumble over, and it's a rock that some trip over, and he says they stumble. Why? Because they disobey the Word. It's not because they don't understand it. It's not that they're incapable of seeing what we see. It's simply that they stumble because they disobey the Word. They hear the same message that you and I do, and they understand what it's about. But they disobey the word, and he says they were destined for death. So those that are disobedient, we know where that path goes. And that's what Peter's saying. And so you and I need to realize that we have a decision to make. We have a choice to make. And then he looks back to the believers. He looks to the family of God, and he says, but you, but you. Now, keep in mind everything we've said so far. I want to encourage you. I've seen the difference Christ made in my life. And I want you to be mindful of the salvation that we have through the new birth. And I want you to realize that we can all grow up in our salvation when we just desire the Word of God and put it into practice. That's it. It's not rocket science. And I want you to know that, that we're encouraged when we realize that our standing comes from Jesus. We're nobody special. We don't have, you know, we don't have special access. We just have Jesus in our lives, and that makes all the difference in the world. My standing comes from Him, not anything that, I, that I've done. And so here he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession. Stop there. Now, it's kind of neat. I shared this, I don't know if it was last Sunday or if I shared this this past uh, Wednesday night, but right now on Wednesday nights here in the sanctuary for Bible study, we're going through the life of Moses. And, of course, on Sundays, we're going through 1 Peter. And I never really would have you know, put those two together. It wasn't even planned. I just kind of did what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do. But at, every week now, as I go through these together at the same time, I'm going, wow, I didn't see this connection. Like we just looked at this past Wednesday night, 
God has brought uh, Moses and Israel out of Egypt. And God says, here's a sign. When God revealed himself to Moses on the burning bush, it was on a mountain. He says, when you go to Egypt and, and bring my people out, you will meet me on this mountain, and together y'all will worship me. And we were in Exodus 19, and that's where it is. They have come out of Egypt. Moses is leading God's people. They are now at the mountain where God appeared to him, and they're about to worship him. And Moses is about to receive the Ten Commandments. And do you know what God tells Moses about his people? Right there in 1 Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That comes from Exodus 19. And here we are. It's really, really cool. Um, here's the thing. What I want you to understand, for those that are used to the meat of the word, you're like, so... What about Israel and what about the church? Listen, we are included. We're included. That's what Scripture says. When Paul was in Romans talking about an olive tree, you know, olive tree usually represented Israel, but then he says here's an olive tree with natural branches, and then there are these other branches that have been grafted in. And what's he talking about? He's talking about because of the new covenant that God told Jeremiah, we are included in it. Okay, because of Jesus. It's beautiful. And that's what Peter, I think, is telling them. He says, listen, your standing is based on Christ. And because Christ is in your life, the, 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 God, the, 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 the promises that God made to Abraham, uh, that he made to David, that he made to Jeremiah, they're fulfilled in Jesus. And now that you're in Jesus, you're part of that. And your standing is based on what? Jesus. That's beautiful. I mean, I know that's simple, but that is beautiful. And that's what he's saying. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his possession. And just when you think you're standing up straight and going, well, that sounds pretty good. He says, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This wonderful standing that we have it's not to make you feel special. It's not for you to look down your nose at someone else, but it's for you to say, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life, and now I want to share this with as many people as I can so that they can experience this same new life in Christ that I have. He reminds us of where we've been. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's where we're going to end it today. Isn't that good? I want to give you three quick questions and I'll be done. And this is only going to take about a minute and a half. But three questions I want to ask you right now. Are you loving other believers? Notice he said there at the end of chapter 1 that we are to love one another constantly from the heart. And, and we can do that because we've been born again. Are you loving other believers? Uh, number two, are you growing up in your salvation? You know, if you made a profession of faith and yet your life's never been changed, it's never been different, and you're listening to what I'm saying and you're like, well, I've never really had that desire for the Word of God. You know, I can take it or leave it. Again, I'm not going to say that you are or are not saved. I'm simply going to say examine your experience and make sure it conforms with Scripture and not what other people say. Are you loving other believers? Are you growing up in your salvation and number three, are you offering God praise for what He's done? I want to tell you something. Remember the, um, the guy 
the demoniac in the in the gospel story um, that was uh, in the uh, cemetery and he was cutting himself and he was just uh, he was a, a hot mess and he he comes to Jesus and 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 Jesus saves him and he wants to follow Jesus when Jesus leaves and he says no I want you to go tell all your family and friends what the Lord has done I want to tell you something when Christ has changed your life. It motivates you to tell other people what you've experienced so they can experience it too. And so I want to tell you something. Ask yourselves these questions because these three questions are indicators that should hopefully encourage you that, hey, I I have Christ in my life and I'm still, you know, he's still working on me, but I'm moving in a direction of loving him, following him and obeying him. But if you ask yourself these questions, am I loving other believers? Am I growing up in my salvation? Am I offering God praise for what he's done? and you can say no, no, and no, then I would encourage you to examine yourself, examine your Christian experience. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you, or do you yourselves not recognize that Christ is in you unless you fail the test? In other words, Scripture in that one verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, gives you one question as a, as a tool, as a test, to diagnose whether or not you're saved. And I can't tell you you're saved. A Sunday school teacher, a deacon, your mama, your daddy, nobody can tell you you're saved. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit will let you know, and you will know it, and you will surely show it, okay? But you need to test yourselves, examine yourselves. Is Christ in you? Is Christ in your life? If He is, you're saved, okay? You're surely saved. Uh, Christ is in you. How do I know that? Because Peter would say that's where it starts. When you hear the message about Christ and what He's done for you and you believe it with all your heart, then all of a sudden the Word of God and the Spirit of God create new life in you. And now He lives in you. And He lives through you. And that makes all the difference in the world. It makes a man be able to stand up boldly on the day of Pentecost and tell people what God has done. Well, I want to ask you this morning, Can you say that for yourself? Have you been saved? Do you know it? Are you showing it? If you are, praise God. Praise God. And pray for those that you love that don't know that they might come before it's everlasting too late. But maybe I'm talking to someone today. You examine yourself and you go, I don't think I can say yes, preacher. What do I do? I'll tell you what you do. Now that you've heard the word of God, you have a decision. Are you going to believe it? Are you going to come to Christ and receive Him into your life? You'll have that opportunity right now. We're fixing to have an invitation. There's nothing magical about this moment. It's just that when you preach publicly to people and you share the Word of God, you want to give them an opportunity to respond. You know, the very first sermon that was ever preached when the church was born was on the day of Pentecost. And did you know that before Peter even got done, people were cut to the heart and said, What do we do? You know? Preacher was on second point of maybe a 30-minute message, and they said, stop, what do we do? We're ready right now. I love that. You know, I, I think it would be great if we had revival breakout when the preacher couldn't even finish preaching and people were ready to obey the Word of God. Amen? And so I want to encourage you this morning, if God is speaking to you, I want to simply pray a model prayer right now, and you need to pray this in your heart. It doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. I want you to come. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to encourage you. And you know what? Baptism is your public statement of faith. When you and I are baptized, when we go into that water, we're telling 
the world and we're telling God's people that I believe Jesus died and he rose again and I believe that I am now an old person that is dead to the old life and I've been raised by the power of God to live a new life. And baptism is a picture of that truth. And that's your public statement of faith right there. Well, let's all stand. Musicians, come. We're going to have prayer and an invitation. Father, I come before you right now. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this worship uh, that we've had today. Thank you for your word. And Father, I pray right now, God, that you would speak to each and every person that's here. And Father, I pray that we would examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. And I pray, Lord, that we would ask the question, Christ, are you in my life? And Father, if we can say that with an affirmation because the Spirit of God is in our hearts, then Lord, we praise you, we thank you. And Lord, we want to be your hands and feet in this world. We want to share this good news with those that we meet that they might experience that the Lord is good. And Father, I pray for those that can't say yes today. Lord, you know who they are. Lord, they know who they are. I pray right now, Lord, that they'll come to you. Lord, I pray right now, Father, have your will and way in our life. Lord, we know that we are sinners. We know that you are the Savior. And Lord, we come humbly to you, asking you to save us, to change us, to make us your people. Father, I pray that you'd have your will and way in each person's heart today as we sing. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.